0: We are going to dive in this morning. How are you doing? Is everyone doing good? Did y'all enjoy this week's study? We've been through the plagues. Those are kind of, those are kind of heavy, aren't they? Kind of, ugh. Right. And so I'm going to start this morning. I'm going to dive in real quick. But I want to start by showing you a video of my youngest son George when he was five. Yes, that is my youngest son. He is now 10 and he can still do that. (laughs) He is my free spirit. He is my risk taker and he has never met a stranger. He is so fun. He has tons of friends. He loves the Lord. And again, he is my youngest of three boys. Well, one of his closest friends who moved away a couple years ago was back visiting a couple weeks ago. And they decided to get a bunch of their friends and go up to the park together, play gaga ball, hang out. And, you know, so he's up at the park and I get this phone call from a fellow mom. And she said, hey, you know, I just want to come to you because I'd want you to come to me and um, just want to tell you what's going on. I have had those phone calls several times. (laughs) That is not the first time I've heard a mom on the other line saying this to me. And so what George decided to do with his little friend was they decided it would be so fun to bless everyone at the park with cuss words. Oh, Oh, that was a great phone call. Great. So I go, you know, pick him up, and he gets in the car, and I'm just kind of like, hey, buddy. You know, a little bit of sarcasm in that, (laughs) hey, buddy. And I kind of give him a look, and I'm kind of like, so how was the park? And he kind of nods his head and then he he kind of looks over at me and he's like, oh. and then we, he confessed. Right then and there he confessed and we had a discussion. So this is kind of what our discussion looked like. We're, we're taking these parenting coaching classes to kind of revamp how we parent a little bit. And so I was trying to really use some of that coaching, okay? And so... I just said to him, I just said, hey, buddy, what's your name? And he's like, George Davis Hall. And I was like, okay, and do people know that name? Do they know that you belong to us and that you belong to Jesus? And he's like, yes, ma'am, they do. I said, baby, you know that you are loved, right? You know that you belong to us and that you belong to Jesus. You are an amazing little boy, and he is but you did not act today or represent our family or the Lord. You see, God loves you. And no matter what you do, George, because you have been washed by the blood of Jesus, he desires you to come to him with a repentant heart. You know, ladies, as I said those words, as I studied, I thought that is what God's heart is for the Egyptian people. To have repentant hearts. So you see, we see God, he set apart his people from the judgment that he would put over Egypt. That's tough. That's our tough lesson today, judgment. God is loving, he is merciful, and he is gracious, and we see that all through his word. But what we tend to forget is that he is equally the holy and righteous judge of all the earth, of each human being, and of every nation. God does give Pharaoh and the Egyptians multiple chances to repent and come to him. Why? Because he desires that none should perish, that all men will come to him. But even more so, he desires his name to be glorified in all the earth. So the two truths that we're going to rest in today that we're going to cover are that God is sovereign and man is always responsible. Those are tough, so I'm going to repeat them. God is sovereign and man is responsible. The whole aspect of Pharaoh is hard for us to wrap our minds around. So before we start, I really do want to come before you this morning. I want to come before the Lord and give our time to him. So if y'all will just join me and let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, Lord, I come to you with a racing heart this morning. You know where I am. And so right now, I just pray that you would give me your peace. But I also pray, Lord, that these hearts in this room would be open to you and your message. Lord, teach us what you want us to hear today. Reveal to us what you want us to understand about who you are. You are God, you are Lord, and you are sovereign. Lord, I pray right now, and I invite the Holy Spirit to come and rest on us this morning. Lord, let the words of my mouth, let the meditations of all of our hearts, Be acceptable to you this morning, Lord, because you are our rock and you are our redeemer. In Jesus' name, in his powerful name, amen. Hmm. So, last week we covered the first five plagues, and if you missed it, I want to encourage you to go online to a podcast, and our sweet teacher, Randy, brought a phenomenal message, so please don't miss out on that. But today, we're going to cover plagues six through nine. Blistering boils... Horrible hail, loathsome locusts, and last but not least, um, dreadful darkness. You see, all these plagues were divine miracles, but they were based on natural occurrences. God demonstrated his power to the Egyptians so that they would understand that he is the one true God. These plagues targeted every Egyptian god. Were you amazed at how many gods that they had? I am so thankful that I have one God to worship, one God to praise, one God to follow, not 50. And it's just amazing. But why the 10 plagues, right? I was kind of like, okay, why not just take Pharaoh and the Egyptians, maybe do one big plague, and then just wipe them out and free your people? I mean, why 10? Right? Well, we see the answer to that. We see that, and well, we see that he can do that. First of all, in 9.15, right, we see, now I had stretched out my hand and I struck your people with pestilence. If I did, this is what would happen. They would be cut off from the earth. So absolutely, God can completely take them and wipe them out. But he chose not to. In all his sovereignty, God chose not to. Why? Well, let's look at the next verse. Exodus nine sixteen and 10, verse 2 say that God did this so he could perform miraculous signs so that generations to come would know about him and so that everyone, including the Egyptians, would know that he is Lord. That was the purpose of the plagues. You see, the plagues were a part of God's redemption process for his people. He used these specific these specific plagues to show the Egyptians that he is the one true and living God. So in plagues one through three, we see that both Israelites and Egyptians were affected, right? What God was doing was he was showing his hand of correction on the Israelites who had praised and worshipped those same idols. But he was also showing his power to both Egyptian and Israelites alike. But what do we see in plague four? Randy talked about this last week, the plague of flies. What does God do? He removes his people. He sets them apart. And it says, but on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I am in that land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. Exodus 8, 22 and 23. God chose the Israelites. He chose them way long time ago, way back in Genesis. He chose them. This whole story is about setting this nation apart and drawing them to himself. But what does he also want? He wants a pagan land, Egypt, to know and hope in him, to turn from their evil ways and run to him. Because of why? It says it in First Timothy two four, Because God desires all men to come to him, all men to come to truth. And so let's dive into our plagues. I'm going to get a little specific here. The first one is the plague of boils. This was the first plague to cause bodily harm on the men. Do you remember in your script it says that Aaron and Moses took the ashes from the furnaces and threw them in the air, and then that caused boils on the people. Gosh, I started thinking about this could possibly be the same furnaces that the Israelites used to bake those bricks to, to heal, to build Egypt. So what, what the Egyptians meant to torment the Israelites, it was now causing them suffering. It was them who were being tormented. And the boils didn't just affect a couple people, they affected all Egyptians. The princes, the princesses, the priests, the commoners, they affected every single person. The Egyptian gods were Serapis and Hemetep. These were the gods of protection and healing. They really weren't doing a very good job, were they? Not at all. They were put to the test. Moses and Aaron, when, they, when the magicians came to them, they could not stand before them. Do you remember? The magicians would come before them and say, oh, look, we can do what you can do. Not this time. Not this time, it says. And they could not stand before them. You see, God was revealing himself to be Jehovah Rapha, the great physician, the God who heals, the one and only God who can protect us from disease. This plague was also the first time during the plagues that we see that phrase, that tricky phrase, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Hold that thought, ladies. We're going to get back to that later. I know you're excited about that. (laughs) Okay, so then we move on to the seventh plague, which is hail. And this is not just any hail. It says it rains down hail like never before. And it was lightning, and it was thunder, and it was fire. Fire rained down from the sky. Wow, and it caused, it's the first time that a plague caused death to man. It says it struck them in verse 25. And our Egyptian god and goddess of the sky and atmosphere were nut and shoe. And, but then this didn't also just affect, um, you know, prove to be the atmosphere going on. It also was Isis and Seth, the god of agriculture. You see, this hail would also destroy their crops as well. The lice, the, lice, the gnats, and the flies, and also the disease destroyed Egypt, and this would do further damage. But what do we see in this part? Once again, God is merciful. He says, hey, I'm gonna give you 24 hours. Everybody, I'm gonna give you 24 hours. If you trust me, if you believe what I'm saying, you'll take shelter, right? And then we have the eighth plague of locusts. Hmm, Hold on Okay, back up one. Sorry about that. Hail, right. Okay. The eighth plague of locusts. Okay, this destroyed the rest of the crops, specifically the wheat. Remember how the, um, everything else was destroyed, but this, the livestock and the meat, right, and their fish. Remember the Nile destroyed their fish and it was all smelly? Well, this would destroy their wheat. So now they would no longer have bread either. And we see Pharaoh's servants go to him and beg, please let these people go. Let them go and worship their God. But Pharaoh and his nation continued their hardness against God. And the plagues continued to get worse and worse. We have Osiris, which is the god of underworld and chaos, and Sinehem, which is the protector from locusts. Again, they're not doing such a good job, are they? Nope. But what is our God? He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He is the bread of life. In this particular plague, what happens? Pharaoh gives Moses a chance, right, to allow him to go serve in the wilderness. But he says, you can take your men. Just leave your women and children. Pharaoh tempts Moses with compromise And this is where we see Pharaoh again, a type of Satan. He is the great deceiver, isn't he? And he's doing it right here to Moses. He didn't want any more plagues, but he still was not going to repent. He wanted to keep the women and children so he could still be served and his kingdom could still raise up. But Moses refused. He understood that with complete obedience comes great blessing. So, how many moms do we have out there? Lots of moms, right? So, you know, what does this look like to you? Hey, son, buddy, can you go put your phone away? Can you go put your phone away? Sure, mom. Sure. Hey, buddy, can you go get off your phone? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great. Right? Right. That yeah. Well, how about this one? This is what I get in the summer. Hey, buddy, let's get out of the pool. We don't need to be in the pool anymore. Let's just get out of the pool. Hey, can you just kind of stand away from the pool? Sure, Mom. Sure. (laughs) Sure, Mom. Hey, can you come dry off? Sure. Sure, I'll come dry off. (laughs) I mean, right? (sighs) Tell (laughs) you. Kills me every time. I'm like, yeah. Am I just not talking? Are you not hearing me? Right? Partial obedience. (laughs) Jesus replies to us in John fourteen twenty three, and he says, anyone who loves me with, obeys my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to him and make our home with him. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. God is not looking for a heart that compromises. He is looking for full devotion. And so then we come to our ninth plague, the plague of darkness. The God Ra was the sun god. He was the heart of Egyptian worship. But by the finger of God, Ra was humbled. You know, if I turned out the lights right now in this room, it would be dark, right? But after a while, your eyes would probably kind of adjust and you could see a little bit, right? That's not what this was. It says in your scripture that the darkness was felt, they could feel the darkness. Pharaoh tried to light that match to light a lamp nothing if he said hey servants go light stuff in my in my kingdom light the lights nothing there were no stars there was no exit signs there was nothing no moon no sun darkness total darkness and this reminded me of um, when I was a counselor at Kanikuk, you know not too long ago Um, just a few years ago, um, we would take, I would be a a counselor for a month and we would take our campers on these trips and um, we would go caving. And so we'd go down, down, down into these caves and we'd have to crawl through a hole and down a ladder and, and we had headlamps on. And then we would finally get to this amazing room called the ballroom. Y'all, it was probably like three times the size and twice this high. It was huge. And we were in the earth, under the earth, in the earth. And so we'd sit there with our guide, and he would say, okay, y'all turn out your headlamps. And we did. And y'all, it was darkness like I had never felt before. You almost, will you, you, you put your hand right here, and you were like, See my hand, see my hand. I mean, you were willing yourself to see the hand in front of your face and nothing. I couldn't see the person next to me. I could see nothing. And he left it off. He, we left our headlamps off for like a whole minute and you could just feel people's, like start to rustle and kind of murmur a little bit. And I could feel my heart start to palpitate. It, I was fearful, darkness like I'd never felt. And then all of a sudden the guy just turned on his light. And it just flooded the whole room. And all of us just, oh, thank you. Right? Total darkness. That was like that in Egypt for three days. Not one minute. Three days. They had total and utter darkness. And what God was saying was, this is what your life would be like without me the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Pharaoh was a type of Satan. Egypt represented the world and the darkness, it represented life without God, life apart from God. It represented hell because the absence of light is the absence of God. Ladies, nine times Nine times God revealed himself as the living and almighty God to them. Nine times. And nine times Pharaoh and his people chose darkness over light. Chose death over life. Life in his presence. You know, God's people probably stood in Goshen and watched going, what is going on? I mean, they watched all this happening. But what they knew even more was that they were experiencing firsthand God's protection around them. He drew his mighty hand around his people and said, you are mine. I am your protection. I am your provision. Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jireh. That is who I am. Ladies, there is nothing random about these plagues. They would reveal to us and all of the nations who God was and who he is today. You know, from the time of the fall, he gave us a redeemer. Remember in Genesis 3, he said, my redeemer will come from the seed of woman. He wanted to triumph over the devil for you and me and for all people. Throughout Scripture, we see God giving us a picture of who he is. And the plagues, one by one, little by little, they would reveal not only God's power, but his desire to bring his people out of Egypt and into the promised land, out of sin and darkness and to himself. It says that in Deuteronomy the Israelites and Egyptians' response to that needed to be of faith and obedience. So we've looked at the nation of Israel and the Israelites set apart, but now we're going to look at an individual, and his name is Pharaoh. How does God in his sovereignty move to show Pharaoh who he is? How does he show unbelievers who he is? Well, in 9 verse 12, we see that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. But it's not the first time we see this. Remember, we back up and we look in Exodus 4.21, and it says it there too. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders that I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart and he will not let the people go. God did harden Pharaoh's heart, a heart that was rebelling against him. But why? Why this line? Why this phrase? The same reason that he hardened Pharaoh's heart is why he gave us the plagues. It says in his word, I did this so that I could perform miraculous signs so that I could perform miraculous signs, so that I could be known from generation to generation, and so that everyone, Egyptian and Israelite alike, will know that I am Lord. Glory to God that he wants that, that he wants his name proclaimed. God was revealing himself to the nations of Israel and Egypt. Repent, come to me, he wanted them. And that is what he wants for all of us. You see, ladies, God is merciful. He is awesome and gracious and he is loving. But he is also the great and mighty judge of all of us, of all the earth. Let's go back to Genesis 12. In verses 2 and 3, he's talking to Abraham and he said, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing to everyone. I will bless those who bless you and those who curse you, I will curse. Egypt was that land. Egypt was that land. Germany was that land. Iran and Iraq, they are that land. Italy at one point was that land. And I have to wonder, is America that land? Because this is the promise of God, the covenant keeper. The covenant keeper. But Egypt was the first land to not only rise up against God's people, but rise up against the God of all creation. You know, at first he said, I don't know, your, I don't know Joseph's God back in Exodus. And then he said, I don't know God at all. So ladies, he can be loving and merciful and gracious. Absolutely, we're learning that in our memory verse, right? That he is slow to anger, but he still rules justly. I think it's hard, at least sometimes it's hard for me, to wrap my mind around that concept. But he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is the same all the time in every aspect of who he is. It is not about what we think who God is. That really doesn't matter. What matters is who he's revealing himself to be. It doesn't matter what we think about God. What matters is, God, who are you revealing yourself to be? Who are you? He is gracious, right? He is loving, and he is just, He is just. God is sovereign and we are responsible. I said that at the beginning and I really want to drive that point home because God is sovereign and man is responsible. Those are true at the same time. In God's mind, they fit perfectly together. And what does it say in scripture? His ways are higher than than mine. His thoughts are greater than mine. All throughout scripture we see this truth from the Garden of Eden to the foot of the cross to revelation to now. He is the same God. We need to trust him. Trust that he is holy and that he is righteous and that he never, never makes a mistake. He never judges unjustly. And he never judges without giving plenty of warning first. Nine plagues, right? He never judges without giving plenty of warning. His ways are perfect, and everything he does is for his great name. Are you with me? (sighs) Take a deep breath. It's a lot to swallow. Well, I want to go back to George. After he hung his head and we had that discussion, he had a choice to believe that I loved him, that I desired him to repent, or he could get really angry and harden his heart um, to my love for him and correction. But which do you think he chose? My strong-willed, dig his heels in, the one doing this, you know, yeah, that's him. What did he do? He looked up at me with tears streaming down his face. And he leaned into me. And he just said, Mom, I'm so sorry. I am so, so sorry, Mom. Do you know what my heart did when when he did that? he had accepted correction and was willing to confess and be healed and then seek out those he offended and ask for forgiveness. But I think what I saw in him more than anything was that he accepted that he was a child of God and that he was forgiven. He was forgiven. So George and I prayed and we thanked the Lord. We thank the Lord for his love and we praised him for allowing us to be his children set apart. Ladies, we've talked about George. We've talked about the Egyptians and the Israelites and we've talked about Pharaoh. So now I want to talk about you and me. How is your heart this morning? When God is correcting you, disciplining you, what is your heart's response? In Hebrews, it says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. And this is awesome. For those the Lord loves, he also disciplines, and he scourges every son he receives. Those he loves, he disciplines. I am so thankful that I have a God who disciplines me, because if he didn't, I would be serving a God Like Pharaoh, who watched his people be plagued with boils and um, flies and lice and starving because there was nothing to eat, and he didn't care. But God cares. He cares deeply. He loves you enough to discipline you. We tell our sons that a lot. Buddy, I love you too much to let you lie. I love you too much for you to go down that path of destruction. I love you too much. And God loves us way too much. But there does come a time, and it's a little hard for me to say this morning, where our children and us constantly choose the path of destruction, to disobey And we still love him just like God loves us. And he still tries to woo us back to him. But there is a time where you have to say, okay, there's the way of destruction. Walk in it. I love you. I don't want you to go there. Listen to me. Listen to me. I love you. Come this way with me. Right? Last week, Randy said, God's heart is for us to know him. Absolutely. Absolutely to know that he loves us and is wooing us back to him. But he is also a just God. He is both. And I know, I know that's hard to understand. You know, I'm sure the Israelites, as they watched the wrath of God rain down on Egypt, they wondered what God was doing. But what did they know? What did they know about God that he had said, I will deliver you? I am going to deliver you. They didn't know how they would be delivered. They didn't know when. But they just needed to wait on the Lord and trust his mighty, great hand. Trusting him and waiting for him to act on their behalf. He had already done that, he had already set them apart. And now he just said, Wait, it's coming. It's coming. So I want to ask you, where in your life are you wondering, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And who are you believing God to be? You know, I'm going to insert a little story about myself. Some of you know this, but when I was first married, I was struck with um, blood clots all in my lungs from birth control pills. It, It almost killed me within the first four months. And they discovered that I had a protein C deficiency, which means my blood clots really, really fast. So birth control pills was not good. So then we got to walk the path of what do we do about a family, and I wanted children so bad. And I had been faithful to obey God, and I had walked in his ways, and I had saved myself from marriage, and I, you know, I was this little ivory tower testimony walking around, and I was so excited to get married. You know, Marriage, whoa, yeah. And then... Um, <laughs> And then I was like, sweet, now come the babies. Nothing. It wasn't safe and it wasn't right. And I was like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? You see, God was saying, just wait on me because my plan is perfect and my timing is perfect. And I had to change my thinking and line myself up with who God is not what I wanted, not what I thought he was, because I started to think, what did I do to deserve this? What kind of God are you? And so I had to line myself up with his truth and his word, that he is good and mighty and gracious and loving. God had revealed to me, and I hope he reveals to you, that he is Jehovah Rapha. He is Jehovah Nisi, and he is Jehovah Jireh. He is the light, the light of the world. Y'all, get out the sheet of paper that Alicia gave you with all the names of God and just start saying, Lord, you are this and this. You are God. You are protector. You are sovereign. You are good. You are just. Let him show you who he is. You know, maybe you're a little like me back in the early days and what I am doing now as well is you're going through a hard time in your life, a really hard time. Ladies, keep waiting on him to reveal himself to you. Wait on him in faith and his timing. Because he will, he will deliver you. That's what he says he'll do. He will deliver you beyond, beyond what anything you could ask or imagine. I had no idea when I was going through that, that he would take me through the process of adoption and make me a mom. I had no idea that's what he was going to do. But what I did learn is that, God, you have this. You are my God, and you got it. It was beyond anything I could ever have asked or imagined. And then I can't leave without saying, who of you is feeling the tug of the Lord on your heart? because you don't really know who he is. Well, I want to say to y'all that he desires to bring you out of Egypt, out of that place of sin, and into the promised land, into his presence. So if you are hearing the Lord's voice call to you, do not harden your heart. Today, let today be the day of your salvation. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you love us and that you are calling us to you. You're calling us out of a place that is hard so that we can know that you are gracious and merciful and just and holy. Lord, you are sovereign and we are responsible to respond in faith and obedience. Lord, I come to you right now knowing that I need to respond to you today in faith and obedience. Show me, Lord. Show me that you are Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Jehovah Nisi, the God who protects. And Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. I just thank you for this morning, Lord, and I thank you for this word. I thank you that you desire to discipline me so that I will come to you with a repentant heart. I pray for each heart in this room. Lord, let them be transformed by your word today. I lift them up as they go to their groups. I lift them up as they try and understand who you are. You are complete, Lord. You are whole. And you are perfect. Thank you for being one God and not many. In Jesus' name, Jesus' precious, holy, and powerful name, amen.